Speaking of Munger, they have a very famous quote at Berkshire. Be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when people are greedy. It's the perfect time for that. Talking to my next guest, Miguel Pinto. Miguel Pinto! One of the leading commercial real estate brokers. Founder, CEO of Apex Capital Realty. Uh, you have about 35 commercial advisors. You guys are doing half a billion dollars in sales every year. We want people that take it as a career. This is what they do day in and day out. We want them to become millionaires and, and they should want to become millionaires. If you don't want to, you're in the wrong office. So 10% of agents get 95% of commissions. What is the difference between being in that top 1%, top 10%, whatever it is? You work 45 hours a week, you're already beat 50% of the population there. 45, and 45 is not impressive. You work 60 hours a week, you're in the top 10%. So if you don't get caught up in that lifestyle of going to the clubs, you're chasing tail, and you're drinking, and you're like showing up to the office, you're going to do amazing. You didn't come in with any like crazy familial relationships or a friend who owns like massive buildings. And so I think most people coming from that vantage point will be like, how do I even get in a room where they're talking about $10 million deals? Look, I'll share with you the story. I found an interesting article that I saw online. Charlie Munger talking about the state of commercial real estate. And basically there's a storm brewing. Mm -hmm. There's a storm brewing in commercial real estate. Um, and I think there's like a few different forces that are at work. Um, but basically what he was saying is, is that there are a number of bad loans that have been given out and it's going to get to the point where there's just a ton of kind of distressed commercial real estate on the market. I'm curious, just as a place to start, like what's, what are you seeing from your vantage point? Like what's kind of your perspective on where that market's at? Yeah. Um, very interesting what's happening right now. So interest rates are the sole determinant of pricing in real estate. Interest rates go down, prices go up, interest rates go up, prices go down. Mm. So if you look at 2021, early 2022, you were getting three and a half, four percent loans on, in real estate. Commercial real estate, your loans are five to 10 years. In residential, they're 30 years. So Charlie Munger's article, he's, he's alluding to commercial real estate. If you have a 30-year mortgage, you're not going to sell right now because you're just going to get yourself into a higher payment mm. to move to maybe a slightly better house, maybe, but you're going to pay much more. So you don't have to make a move if you don't want to. In commercial real estate, when that loan comes due, you have to make a move. And you really start making those moves six months prior to when that loan matures. So... Just basic math, right? A million dollar deal. You're going to get a loan for, say the loan's a million dollars. You're getting, you're paying 4% interest on it. Let's just assume it's an interest only loan. Mm. You're paying $40,000 a year for that loan. Nowadays, that same loan is $80,000 a year. It's double the price. So for investment sales, right? Uh, properties that have income, your yield just keeps going down. It keeps getting contracted in, in the market. When you go to sell these assets, it's all based on your yield, mm. right? So there's a huge storm brewing. Um, from, from an interest rate perspective, all, every single asset class has been affected. Um, but then you look at development. Uh, inflation has caused prices to go up in construction, not only the material, but the labor is through the absolute roof. In Florida, we don't deal with unions, but if you're in a union state, it gets even worse. Uh, what we do deal with in Florida, especially South Florida, is insurance. Uh, 
no insurance carrier wants to insure properties in South Florida. So right now you have to deal with uh, with citizens, which is Florida's the state of Florida's insurance company. Mm. That's that used to be the insurance company of last resort. Nobody wanted to ever go there, and now it's the only one that will insure you. So you have bunch of negative forces i mean insurance costs you can't really do anything about it construction costs you can't do anything about it interest rates go talk to jerome powell and see if he'll lower them you have all these macro forces that yeah it's totally out of your control and and as inflation keeps rising and interest interest rates keep rising the values are going to keep going down Mm. i was telling you earlier i was walking down the city and i would look at these office buildings and Every single one has a for lease sign. There's a bunch of, you go on loop now, there's a bunch of vacancy. Everyone's underwater for the most part. And, and, and certain asset classes worse than others, right? So office, they're hurting. Ever since COVID happened, well, let's work from home or this hybrid thing where you come in two, three days a week. These buildings, companies realize that, hey, maybe I don't need this much space anymore. So they'll either just totally go remote or they'll downgrade. Um, in hotels, we were a big winner of COVID at one point in South Florida because we were one of the first ones to open. And you didn't really have to wear a mask. It was, it was, it was as normal as you could get to in that, in that period of time. Mm. So everyone wanted, to come, everyone wanted to come to South Florida. The hotels did amazing. Then the world opened up again. And then you started getting more to normalcy um, from... Um, from a uh, shooting blanks here. <laughs> I guess in terms of like a living situation, from like an also from level. a travel. From an occupancy level, right? Yeah. So they're hurting too. Um, man, I talk, to, I talk to landlords every single day. Uh, I just came from a meeting. <laughs> let, me give you, let me give you a story. They bought a hotel for $60 million mm. here in New York. They got a loan on it for $40 million. They haven't paid the loan since last October. Mm. They took it out to market with a big brokerage here to see if they could sell it. And they knew they were going to take an L on it. But let me, you know, how much of an L are we going to take? How much of a loss are we going to take on this? And they ended up, that big, the highest offer they got was $22 million. They bought it for 60 in 2018. Jesus. Caleb, it was so bad that the bank doesn't even want to take it back yet. The bank doesn't want to operate the hotel. And if the bank takes it back and they go to sell it, well, it's going to be a $22 million sale. Mm. So the bank takes an $18 million haircut. Forget about the landlord. He's, he's done. He's washed out. Mm. That's some of the situations that you're seeing nowadays. But it creates a big opportunity. So if you have cash, now is the time for you to go and, and really take advantage of that. Yeah. Right. Speaking of Munger, um, you know, they, they have a very famous quote at Berkshire, right? Be greedy. You know that one? Yeah. Be greedy. Be, fi- be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when people are greedy. It's the perfect time for that. Yeah. In the macro sense, what do you what do you think happens? And when I say in the macro sense, obviously we all remember 2008 where like Everything went bad at one time. I remember one of my economics teachers telling me this. He said, it's not a problem if like one sector goes bad or one deal or bank or whatever it is goes bad. 
it's when everything goes bad at the same time that you have like a macroeconomic catastrophe, mm-hmm. like what we had in 08. Um, from your vantage point, is that something that you're like, you're like, actually, this could be like a big problem because it, it feels like there's, and you even said it, there's a lot of different forces kind of coming together to create a bad situation. Yeah. It's not just COVID and, you know, the increase in remote work. It's like inflation and interest rates. It's like things are all coming together. Yeah. So what do you think happens on kind of like the macro? This episode is brought to you by Free Agency. If you want to take your career to the next level, Free Agency is a company that you should check out. They manage and represent talent in the tech industry, and they provide you with a dedicated talent agent to help you find, engage, and win top of market roles that will maximize your earning potential. No more leaving money on the table. Stop job searching alone and start building your dream career today with Free Agency. Anyway, back to the show. It's gonna be it's gonna be bad. Um, my my take on it. Right now, I think we're in a period where it's a little stagnant. We're in that limbo period. Um, I think that's the worst for real estate professionals because no one's really making a move. Mm. And it's not until the banks, you know, you got to get a big bank to to really start taking a big hit where you start seeing that ticker symbol on CNBC just really take a big, big drop so that the other ones feel good about coming out and saying, hey, we're in the same situation too. Right? If they all come in together, then it's not so bad. Hey, Barclays is down. Hey, JP. Hey, you haven't seen one of those yet, but, but it's coming. Mm. So I think it's going to be, especially in commercial real estate, I think there's going to be a, a world of pain. You mix that in with the proxy wars that we're stuck in right now. I don't know. I, again, I think it's great opportunity for those that have cash, but the guys that, are, that bought within the last few years, thinking that the market was going to keep rising forever and rents were going to keep rising, mm. That was a dangerous game to play. Hmm. Okay, you know what? Let's bring it. Let's bring it to to you then, um, which is obviously you're the co-founder of this company, um, Apex. Uh, you have about thirty-five commercial advisors. You guys are doing half a billion dollars in sales every year. Like, what? Where does your mind go in terms of your business and how you kind of fit into this? Is it one of those things like? there's almost like a storm coming for us or do you see it as like an opportunity? So both. Um, I think right now it's the slowest that we've been. Uh, again, because people aren't really making moves. Uh, but we see a huge opportunity ahead. I think once these bombs go off and people need to transact, they may not want to, but they need to. It's going to be a lot of business. So for us, what we're looking to do is keep expanding within Florida. Right now we cover Palm Beach County, Broward County, in Miami-Dade County, where we're, where we're headquartered out of, we want to start pushing north, opening up offices there, mm. and really try to get a bigger, bigger grasp on that mid-market. And I define mid-market two to fifty million dollar properties. So mm. you know, we see a huge, huge opportunity. I think people are still moving to Florida in droves. There's an index called the U-Haul index, which is one-way tickets on U-Haul. Mm. So you just you know, you drive it from Michigan down to Florida and you're not going back to Michigan, right? And we have the highest U-Haul index. And when you look at all the major cities, I think Miami's number one, Orlando's number two, uh, Jacksonville's number three. So people are still moving to Florida. And as long as, you know, we follow density, as long as people keep moving in, you're going to need to build more. You got to, 
not only on the on the housing side but retail people got to get entertained where do they work um so we're going into all these major markets and and really want to take a strong foothold there yeah that's, that's what we plan on doing yeah nice okay i was watching um i was going through your instagram your company instagram there's a video that you did i found it very interesting and i think it'll actually be cool for people you were saying that uh the people that you hire at your company and the people that you work with you want people that they want to be millionaires yeah and the reason that you said that is because of the ambition the hustle there has to be a drive in order to to make it as like a broker and and in commercial real estate even before we um started recording this you were saying like people that get into this world and start to have success in the world of real estate it's like they're almost talking a different language to their peers mm-hmm. because their peers might be talking in hundreds and thousands but they're talking in millions and so talk to me talk to me about that and specifically talk to me about even your start in real estate when was that first moment when you were like shit i can make a lot of money doing this yeah so <laughs> So look, I didn't come from a family that had a bunch of relationships or a bunch of money to like, hey, here, go kickstart whatever you want to do. Uh, so I had to grind it out, literally door knocking in a neighborhood called Little Haiti in Miami mm. um, and getting, getting these people to sell their property. So for me, it was, you know, I learned it the hard way and, and just really working hard, sweating it out. Um, but I, there was one sale that I did uh, very early on in my career. It was a $5 million sale. I made a quarter million dollars in one sale. I must have been 26 years old, maybe 25. Mm. And that day I was like, okay, uh, you know, let's keep doing this for, for some time. <laughs> like I like this. <laughs> and, and, be, and before, you know, I was focused on, on smaller deal sizes. So while, you know, you're making... We were making money, but it wasn't, you know, I had never seen a quarter million dollar check just from one sale before as mm-hmm. a commission payment. So that happened early on for me. Um, and then what I started figuring out was I needed to create more opportunities, right? And, and at the end of the day, you have 24 hours in a day. So do I. You got to sleep. You got to eat. You got to hang out with friends, family. You can only work so much. And you, therefore, you can only uncover so many opportunities. And for us, it's a lot of face-to-face uh, dealings, the way that we operate. Commercial real estate is very antiquated in the way that people do things. Also a good opportunity for someone that has an idea there. But um, so I started focusing on hiring people. How do I get people to come in that want to pound the pavement, that want to pound the phone, create opportunities? Our, our whole, what's the value that we bring to the market is creating lucrative opportunities for our investors. That, that is what we bring them. If we don't have good deals, there's a ton of real estate brokers. There's 35,000 licensed agents in South Florida alone. Mm. You got options. But there's a reason why I think, I think the stat is 10% of the, of the agents take home 95% of the commissions. Mm. Right? The majority of people, you know, you'll, you'll go out, you'll get a license. But again, you, you may not be taking it as a career, we want people that take it as a career. This is what they do day in and day out. They come to the office, although they're contractors, they come to the office every day 
We track what they do from a KPI perspective on their activity. We care. We want them to become millionaires, and, and they should want to become millionaires. If you don't want to, you're in the, you're in the wrong office. You're, you, you just can't operate with us, right? We want you to be a high-achieving salesperson. And if you're a high-achieving salesperson, it's only natural that you're going to be getting big fees, and soon enough, you're going to be, whether it's on a net worth or just what's sitting in your bank account, you're going to see seven digits very soon. Mm. So we, we look for that. Um, you know, when we interview people, it's more, at least for me, I sit in, I sit in, in every single interview I sit in. And for me, it's about the character of the person. I don't look at their CV as much as I like ask them questions about them. I want to feel and I want to hear that they can, that they want to sell and that they can close. Right. I think there's three parts of selling. There's marketing, there's sales, and there's closing. We'll help you get through the marketing. We'll help you get out there. But I need to know that when you're in front of someone that you can drive value, that you're trustworthy, that you can talk to someone, that you're not weird. And then at the end, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started this, is, is closing. You got to ask for the business. You can't be afraid. You can't go to a meeting and then not ask for the business at the end or mm -hmm. else you're not going to get it. So I want to feel that in, a, in an interview. Um, I want to understand your relationship with your friends, with your family. Um, we're probably going to spend a ton of time together. So nothing worse than being in an office that's a toxic environment or someone that you don't like or just doesn't mesh well with the team. So for me, it's that. Uh, that's what I look for. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's, that's our path to growth, right? We're only as good as, as the team that we built. And so how do we keep getting better and better? Not only making the people that are there better, but also bringing in talent that just, you know, we get rising tides. Mm. see it's interesting and i like the way that you broke it down which is there's three there's three stages of sales right so marketing selling closing you keyed in which i thought was interesting you keyed in on the closing mm -hmm. and so if i'm trying to get better at closing i'm trying to be a closer what is what is the skill set and is it as simple as you just have to ask for the money or is there more to it? Like what makes a world-class closer? Yeah. I, so you got to identify the pain that someone's maybe having and pain doesn't necessarily mean they're, you know, they're feeling physical pain or that, you know, they're going broke. It, it something that we talked about, right? I don't want to set up my social media channels. I don't want to hire a videographer. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. That's the pain that I have. Can someone solve it for me? And I pay them absolutely, and I would be happy to do so. So in real estate, it's, it's uncovering the pain for what the landlord or seller has. Do you have a loan coming up? Is your building vacant? Do you have under market rents? Is your is your uh, is your banker is your bank calling you saying that you've defaulted on the loan because of an unsafe structure? What what's going on in your world? How do we help you out? How do we add value with what we have to offer? And then at the end, you know, after we've had the consultation, after we presented um, what we were there to do at that meeting, whether it's evaluation or just addressing the concerns that, that the client has, we always ask for the business at the end, right? Um, but again, it's, I think it, the, the phase before that is the selling part, right? Look, to me, marketing is getting your name out there. Do people know who you are? If they don't know who you are, you're already you're dead at at, at phase one mm. 
if no one knows that you have a podcast, no one's going to listen to it. Mm. So first, getting your name out there, right? And and for us, that means call, pick an area or pick an asset class, and call the sellers and landlords and offer some type of value to them, right? If you just call and say, "Hey, I'm Miguel Pinto. I sell real estate. I just wanted to tell you that." Not good enough. Mm. You're going to get hung up on. So when we market it, you know, we offer some type of, of value, right? So generally we do it on, we have information that the market doesn't know about, right? There is no place to get, for instance, lease comparables. How much is the free agency paying for this, for this space? You can't go on public record and find that out. Mm. But if we did the deal, we know how much you paid. So we may call the landlord the office building across the street and say, Hey, at the, we got these guys on the eighth, on the eighth floor space. We got X amount of dollars per foot. We see that you're marketing your property at Y bucks a foot. There's a Delta there. Why don't we meet and talk about it? So that's marketing. Mm. When you're in front of that person, now you're selling. Um, now you start talking about, the, about their building, about the comparables. And at the end, after you've uncovered those point, the pain points that they have, right, for that particular example that I just made up, they're not maximizing the value of their building. They're not getting the most amount of rents that they could. At the end, that's for the business, right? Hey, let us take over the assignment of leasing up your property. Whoever's doing it is not doing it at the optimal level. And, and again, there has to be a value, right, to that, for someone to, to engage you. But again, if you if you don't ask for for the business, you're just simply not going to get it. Mm. Mm. So that's how I, I I break it down. Yeah, it's interesting. You said ten percent. So ten percent of agents get ninety five percent of commissions, and it's actually interesting. It's called the the power law, and it actually occurs in like every industry. You start to see it in almost like any walk of life that a small minority of people get the majority of. I don't know, the results, the outcome, the money, whatever it is. Um, you can it, literally take anything. You can see it in sports. Like the majority, uh, even if you think about like max contracts or whatever, like the small minority of athletes are making the majority of the money. I think the question is, and it's why there's so much interest in like the top 1% or the top 5%, 10%. People want to know, like, what can I do that I'm in that exclusive group? Because if I can make it into that group, it's like my life is different. Mm-hmm. Like when you, when you got that $250,000 check, life is just different after that, right? And people want those outcomes. And so I'm curious for you, like when you even reflect on your own story, your own experience, what is the difference? Because I'm sure there's a, there's a point in your journey when things weren't working, when you weren't one of the top agents, brokers, whatever it was. What is the fundamental difference from when you were in, uh, from when it was not working to when the $250,000 check lands and now you're in like a different stratosphere and even like the fees that you guys are doing, the transaction volume that you're doing now. What is the difference between being in that top 1%, top 10%, whatever it is, and when things aren't working, the rest. Yeah. So I think for me, it was figuring out 
my ideal client, who, who was actually going to transact with me? A lot of people will meet with you just to meet with you. Mm. Um, and you'll waste a lot of time. So true. So that was one big thing. The second thing was taking the horse blinders off. So what do I mean by that? They tell you in real estate, hey, specialize, focus on a certain NASA class or a certain neighborhood, certain price range, and just stick to that. And so when you start, it's easier to get into smaller range deals than it is to go to an institutional client or private equity firm and say, hey, give me the business. And it wasn't until I got again, maybe like 25, 26 that I got presented an opportunity to be able to list a bigger property in terms of price that I wasn't doing before. Mm. And I noticed that it was actually easier to sell the higher ticket price points than the smaller ones. Generally, the sellers are more sophisticated. They're professional investors. They have a team behind them. So there's not a lot of hand-holding going on versus the guy that maybe inherited the property that doesn't know much. You got to do a ton of hand-holding. They're very emotional. So that part opened up my eyes a lot, Caleb. Um, When I did that one sale, I said, okay, I can't go back to dealing with these mom and pops. I will at a certain price point. But it's the same amount of work for me to do a $10 million deal than it is to do a $1 million deal. Same exact amount of work. And I actually, I would argue it's probably easier at the $10 million mark. Again, because they, have, they probably have a team. The seller has a team. So the guy already has an accountant. He already has an attorney. He probably has an underwriter and an analyst. So it's, it's, it's a much more streamlined process for me to, to work with that person. Mm. But it took, it took being, being put in that position and then having a transaction go through for me to be like, okay, this is where I should start focusing. This is where I'm going to get uh, bigger fees. This is, I, can, I can work with, I can serve a lot more of these clients than the smaller clients where there's smaller fees because I have to handhold so much. Mm. So that was my experience. That's something that we try to instill in, in, our, in our team. Um, so we kind of dumb it down for them, right? We don't want to work on fees that are less than $75,000. So then they would ask, well, what's a $75,000 fee? Like, what kind of property does that look like? Okay, well, let's work it backwards, right? If properties sell at 200 bucks a foot, it's a 10,000 square foot building. That's a $2 million deal at 6%. That's 120 grand. Okay, so that qualifies. So mm-hmm. just keep working the numbers down and you'll see what the minimum is. But... You know, I wish somebody would have told me that very early on and, you know, maybe the outcome would have been a little bit different than it is today, which I'm not mad about, but, but uh, for me, it was that. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I think it's something that Alex Homozi says, which is people need to realize that it's a lot easier when you're selling and you're servicing rich people, which is like exactly what you were saying, which is a lot of the times it's actually easier to do the high ticket uh, super premium, whatever it is, clientele than it is to do someone who has a much smaller budget. And people think it's easier to go for the much smaller budget, but it's not. Um, here's where I want to go. I want to make it so so real for people. I want them to feel it. Which is how exactly did that first big deal come about? And here's why I asked that because I think the first one is incredibly significant, not even just from like the perspective of this happened. It's like the belief factor. 
Like once you do the thing once, it's like, oh, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Like it's different. And the reason I bring up belief, I think if you speak to someone and you say, um, it's actually easier to do the $10 million deal than probably to do the $1 million deal. The biggest, I think, pushback that they would have and feel legitimate and feel correct in saying it is what about the access? I don't know anyone. And, and even in your story, right? You didn't come in with any like crazy familial relationships or a friend who owns like massive buildings who could put you on, or I don't know, an uncle who could give you the connection. And so I think most people coming from that vantage point will be like, how do I even get in a room where they're talking about $10 million deals? Like the only people I know are doing the lower ticket deals. Like those are the people that are around me. That's what I know. Yeah. Like, how do I even get the access? How yeah. did you get the access? Well, look, I'll share with you the story. Um, I found a multifamily deal. I think it was like 700 grand. Not a big deal. I spoke to the seller. We agreed on a price. And I would sell it for him. And I was trying to find my own. I, instead of putting it online on the MLS or whatever may have you, I wanted to sell it myself so I could try to get both sides of the fee. Right? In commercial real estate, there's a buy side and there's a sell side fee. You can get both. So I started looking up who had bought properties similar to this. And I would call him. There was one guy that had bought, bought a ton of real estate, but I couldn't get a hold of him. The gatekeeper would not let me talk to this guy. And I would tell her, like, hey, I'm trying to sell him a piece of real estate. He's going to make money on this. And she was like, email me the deal. We'll, tell you, we'll, we'll call you if we're interested. Mm. I would follow up, follow up. This was maybe over a week's time. I wasn't hearing back. And I looked up where the guy's office was. And I said, forget it. I'm going to go and show up myself. I get to the office. The gatekeeper's there. She knew my voice. I knew her voice. She didn't want to let me go see the guy. But the guy heard me at the front desk talking to her and saying, hey, come on, just give me five minutes with him. I want to pitch the deal. It's a great deal. And then he, yeah, I get a guy he, like, from across the room. He's like, hey, come back here. And I'm like, hey, is, is, he, is he the guy? And she's like, yeah. So I go back there. <laughs> I pitch him the deal in three minutes. He literally tells me, you have five minutes. So I pitch him the deal. In three minutes, I pitch him the deal. At that table, he's like, okay, write up the contract, 700 grand, no problem. So I go back to the office, write up the contract, bring it back to the office. He signs it. We end up closing. Before we close on a deal, you know, I was talking to him. When, when you're in contract on a, on a property, you're talking to the investor a lot during that period of time, right? Setting up inspections, talking about the property, et cetera. So during that period of time, you know, and, and I'm so appreciative of this person. Uh, frankly, he became a mentor to me at some point in time. And we still talk a lot to this day, and I learn a lot from him. He, I asked him, I said, hey, can I get into the deal with you? Can I roll my fees, the commission that I'm going to get, can I roll it and be your partner on the deal? And he was nice enough to allow me to do so. He didn't know me. When I asked him that, he didn't know me 15 days before that. Mm. He didn't know who I was. If I have a criminal record, he didn't know anything about me. He, we just had a great vibe together, and, and, and I think he saw that I was adding value. So he allowed me to do so. And in doing that, I started seeing what this guy owned. I knew some of the multifamilies that he owned, but I didn't know everything that he owned. 
And then I started seeing that he owned some really, really nice pieces of real estate on major, major commercial arteries in Miami. So at some point I asked him, hey, what's your plan with these? And then he tells me, hey, I'm actually thinking of selling it. Do you want to sell it for me? Again, we're talking about a guy I didn't know two weeks before that. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I got my opportunity. I mean, it really, like sometimes you don't know where it's going to come from. I couldn't have told you 15 days before that happened that like, hey, I'm going to meet this guy. I'm going to sell him a building and I'm going to get a big listing from it. Would have never thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how it happened for me. So I end up getting, not only do I end up selling the property, I ended up becoming his partner, a minority partner on that deal. I didn't have a lot of money to put in. I really just rolled my fees in there. Mm. But he ended up giving me a big listing, at least to me at that time, it was a big listing where, yeah, I mean, it was, that was kind of the, the kickstart into those higher price ranges for me. Um, and again, it, was, it came super organic. It, it came from me showing up and, and really just, look, part of it, his office was, frankly, it was five minutes from my office. So maybe if it would have been two hours, maybe I wouldn't have gone, but it was there. And I was, I just bit the bullet. I was like, I'm going to show up. What's the worst that's going to happen to me? They're going to tell me no again. Okay. I eat no's for breakfast. It's all good. Mm. It'll be just another one in my day. <laughs> um, and yeah, man, timing, luck, having the, the, the grit to show up and, and not know what to expect. Maybe it's a yes, maybe it's a no, mm. but yeah, that's, that's, that's how it happened. And right, then yeah. after I got that, then, and I sold it, uh, then I, I was almost proving not only to myself, but to the market that I could do this. So then I started calling all the landlords that, that were at that price range and in that area and saying, hey, I just did this. What's your plan? Mm. Okay, Miguel, yeah, let's meet. And so, you know, it's, it's I describe it a lot. Uh, when you're starting in commercial real estate, or at least in sales, you're pushing a huge boulder up a hill. And it's heavy and it's tiring and you're sweating and you haven't had a sip of water. Bills are piling up. Uh, you know, people are saying, hey, why are you, why aren't you, why are you doing this? Why don't you go get a job, make a hundred grand somewhere? It's a little lonely. Uh, you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing. And at some point it gets to the top of the hill with that. You just push that huge rock up the hill and then things just starts rolling down on its own. And, 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 you know, if, you, if you're willing to stick it out long enough, you will see that. Mm. So, yeah, again, I attribute luck, persistence, grit, timing. Mm. Yeah, you know what? It's, um, it's one of the most difficult things about building a business. Um, and honestly, like until you really go and like do this shit, it's like, you don't understand the feeling and the analogy that you gave of like pushing a rock, um, up a steep hill is exactly it. And in a lot of ways, I actually said this to someone recently. I said the toughest part of, um, building something that's your own is there's like a lack of validation. Uh, when you work a job, you get validated in small ways consistently. Mm-hmm. The, mo- the biggest way and the way that obviously the reason why you even do the job in the first place is every two weeks that salary hits. Yep. So even no matter what your performance is, it's like, we're paying you. Like, here's the reward. Like you got, like, here's the hit, here's the reward. And 
I think for people, and the reason why people get discouraged, and the reason why people quit businesses um, and quit, essentially, like quit their dream, like they're trying to build this thing and they give up, is it's like demoralizing. And I felt that. I felt that firsthand. And I got to a place where I was like, the point when it's not working, you have to reframe it. It's actually preparation. It's preparing you for your moment. And when you're giving your story, I think the thing that really shone through for me is when the opportunity arrived, you were prepared. You were perfectly prepared to know about, oh, I could roll in the fees with this other guy and then do this. And then I could also call up other uh, places that might have uh, property and try and sell them based on the deal that I did here. You wouldn't know that unless all of the preparation was happening beforehand. It's that the experience of all of those no's, of all of those failures before, means that when it's your moment, you know exactly what to do. And so if you can reframe the no's and you can reframe the failure as it's actually just preparation, it like changes the psychology in your brain. Totally. It goes from I'm just failing at something to when I win, it's going to be a way bigger win because of all the preparation that has occurred before. I mean, Caleb, I'll I'll tell you the biggest no that I got, the one that hurt the most. So I'm, I'm, I'm out of college. I don't have a ton of money. I'm. I said, okay, I'm going to sell real estate. I got maybe like 20 grand in the bank and some credit cards. Thank God I didn't have any credit card debt. But so I was super careful with the cash because once you run out of cash, you'll run out of fuel. You're done. Game Mm -hmm. over. So I would put everything on credit cards. And I asked my dad at one point, I said, can you lend me 15 grand? And I knew he had it. Mm. Factual. Had it. And he didn't know. And to me, it was... It was very hurtful because it almost felt like he didn't believe enough in me to let me borrow $15,000 at the beginning of my career when I knew that he had it and he had plenty of it, Mm. but I used it as fuel. I was like, you know what? No problem. No problem. Don't give me the 15 grand. Don't, it wasn't even given to me. Loan me the 15 grand. Don't give me that loan. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Right? So I use it as fuel to part to I, I i had enough conviction in myself that i could that i can do whatever i set out to do but really just to kind of prove my father wrong in a in a way look and i have an amazing relationship with him i didn't i didn't get upset i wasn't him and i talk every single day mm. and i think today's day maybe he regrets it and he'll admit it one day <laughs> um but to me i use it as fuel and and, and, and to have you know i have a three-year-old son my three-year-old son wants to do something entrepreneurial, and I see that he's extremely serious about it. I will do whatever he needs me to do, right? So to me, when that happened, man, it, it, it was like, you remember Fast and the Furious when he pressed the button and got Nas and the fucking car just mm. went at a whole other speed that the car didn't even know it could go? For me, it was that. I was like, okay, no problem. I'm pressing the NAS button now and man, I, I didn't have a dog. I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have anything going on uh, in a personal life that would impede me from just work, outworking absolutely everybody. So instead of getting depressed and saying, oh shit, what am I going to do? I just, okay, no problem. I'm going to put in 18 hours, uh, 18 hours a day. I want to make sure everyone knows who I am uh, in whatever sphere I'm working in. 
knock in as many doors as I can, do as many calls as I can, and just, you know, just get out of this as quickly as possible from, from my money standpoint. How do I generate fees as quickly as possible and just prove everybody that maybe didn't believe in me, prove them wrong? Mm. Beginning with my dad. Mm. But yeah, I mean, talking about being prepared, having that time, again, not having a significant other, not having any pets, not having anyone, anything holding me down, you know, I would watch a ton of YouTube and, and, and watch people. How are they structuring deals? Not only selling the deal. It's very different selling something and owning something. So I would see the guys that were owning real estate, how they would structure deals, um, watching their stories on how they got started. And that's where I got some of these ideas. Like, maybe I don't need money. Maybe I can just put the deal together and roll my fee into the deal mm. um, and build equity that way. So, you know, that, that's the part of preparation, you know, I think self-educating. I think, like, for example, your podcast is a great way to do so. You get experiences from people, their falls, how do they come up from those things? You know, one thing is being smart and getting out of a situation, out of a problem. That's being smart. Wisdom is when you use somebody else's, when you know a problem that somebody had and how you can just avoid it. In, in you totality. learn from other people's experience. Totally. And I think that's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right? So you can, you can do that both for problems or you can do that for maybe opportunities as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting sitting in this chair, asking these questions. One of the things that I see, because everyone that we speak with, they've achieved something. They've achieved something huge that maybe even when they were younger, they didn't even dream of. And every single person has like a differentiator. There's something, they have an edge. They have something um, which is just different about them. And they've been able to maximize that. And I think when you're young, part of the problem is you have no awareness of what your edge is. You have no awareness totally. of what your differentiator is. And like you're trying these different things and you're kind of afraid and you don't have the confidence yet. And it's not working. And the reason it's not working is actually pretty simple. It's like a lot of the times you're not in the right space yet. You haven't figured it out yet. And I think what you mentioned is actually really powerful, which is your first differentiator can just be being obsessed. Just being, I'm just gonna put more in than everyone else. Like one of the people I look, I look to, um, one of my idols growing up was Kobe Bryant. Oh, that was his- Mamba mentality, man. That was his whole thing. Yeah. What if I just do the thing more than everyone else? Let's not talk about talent or how tall you are or I don't know what your jumper's like or how, how high can you jump? What if I just put in more reps than everyone else? And the thing is, the, the great thing about that is through the reps, you're going to find your differentiator mm-hmm. because it's going to give you experience. It's going to give you data. It's going to give you things, experiences, things that have happened. And through that reflection, you find the differentiator. Like everything happens faster. I just think it's, it's powerful when you just get to that moment where you're like truly all in. Yeah. And can I tell you, especially for exactly the type of people that you're talking about, 
especially the younger people that they haven't found that edge. They don't know what it is. That is super easy to do, right? Outwork everyone. And by I mean everyone, I mean everyone. So you talk about Kobe Bryant. When he goes to practice, or when he did go to practice, he would practice the most basic things. Layups. Free throws. Nothing exciting about that. But he was one of the world's best, if not the best of all time. Right? And it was from practicing those things that they sound so insignificant. So in sales, right? For instance, it might be just make more calls, reach out to more people. In the media world, it might be make more content. Just don't stop. Keep going. You don't know when you're going to create that viral video that's going to get your face in absolutely every single person's phone. If you quit after 10, then that's it. Game over again. Mm-hmm. Keep going. So whatever medium you're in, what is that simple activity that you can just outwork everybody on? Right? There is a reason why Kobe spent hours every single day shooting free throws. The guy could shoot him with his eyes closed. Even after many championships, he was still spending hours doing that. There's documentaries about this. I don't know if you saw the one about the USA team. This guy would be at the gym at 4 a.m. Oh, yeah. Like, he had already done everything. MVP X amount of times, uh, NBA champion. All, I mean, he was still outworking everyone. And that didn't change, you know. For some people, it will change throughout your career, but most definitely in the beginning, he always had that mentality. Mm. It's not like that mentality grew towards the end of his career. It was from day one. Mm. So, you know, what are those reps that you can take every single day and just, they don't, you, you don't have to be innovative about it, but just do it more than others. And then you're going to get better and better and better. And you're going to convert more and more and more. That's what's going to happen. Mm. So what, what is it in, 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 in your space, right? Mm. You can change your life by just wanting it more, just doing more than other people. I think it's so doing it. It's so not powerful. wanting it, but doing it. Yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting about that? Because it's interesting. Growing up, I was always like, and I've always been very cautious. But I get to a point when I want something so much that all, the action almost becomes automatic, because it's like the only way that I'm going to get it. And so if you want it enough, the action will come. You know, one thing I actually I wanted, to, um, I wanted to ask you about, I think one of the things that is incredibly underrated, people do not think about it enough, is their location, where they're based, their environment. You can change your life by changing where you're based. Oh, huge. And you said something before, you said something to me. You said, um, you're like, dude, if you worked in Miami, you would kill it. I find that interesting. Like what, what makes you say that? What makes you say that, that Miami is kind of that place? So let me ask you a question. Go for it. When you think of Miami, what do you think of? What are the top uh, five things you think of? I think a lot of things. Vacation. Vacation. Women, nice weather. Women, nice weather. Clubs. Okay. Clubs. Entertainment. Beaches. Entertainment, beach. Okay. Good life. Exactly. So that feeds right into my point. We have all these different things going on in Miami that are for one's pleasure and one's entertainment. And so Miami is an amazing city for a lifestyle. Amazing restaurants, beautiful women, amazing beaches, 
It's always sunny, great golf courses. So what happens there is that a lot of people, you know, we're, I'm, we're in New York right now. The hustle and bustle here is like no other. So what do I mean by you would absolutely crush in Miami? If you come with that New York mentality, that New York hustle, you don't see it down there. And I think that's part of, again, talking about what we just talked about, doing it more than others, having more activity than others. It's easy to outwork people there. It's actually, I mean, you work 45 hours a week, you're already beat 50% of the population there. 45, and 45 is not impressive. You work 60 hours a week, you're in the top 10%. You're willing to put up 80 hours a week, you're in the 1%. So if you have, if you don't get caught up in that lifestyle of going to the clubs every night because you're chasing tail and you're drinking and you're like showing up to the office, you know, at a 40% capacity because you still got tequila in your system, you're going to do amazing, right? If you just keep your head down and focus. So Miami has, it's a place where it has a ton of capital, a ton of it. We have some of the world's wealthiest people living there now, not just vacationing anymore, but living there. A bunch of private equity groups, institutional clients. So if you're able to, again, just outwork a lot of people, um, surround yourself with these guys, be in the same circles, you're going to do amazing. And, and that, whatever that is in your world, right? So who are the biggest media guys in Miami or in South Florida? Mm. I don't know. Do you know? No. Okay. There's a huge opportunity there. Mm. The fact that you don't know and you're in the space, you could be the guy. Mm. Nice. That gets me fired up. Okay. Here's where I want to, here's where I want to go. You spoke about, um, the story with your dad. Yeah. Proving yourself. I think it's such a powerful motivator. Not with dad specifically, but like... And for the record, I don't have daddy issues. Like, I, I, I love my dad. We hang out. We play chess every day on, on, on the app. Like, my, like we're dad, good. my dad to me is everything. So just for the record, there are no daddy issues. But to me, it was a little bit of a slap in the face when he told yeah. me no. Um, you don't want your dad sending you a message after he hears this episode. He's like, what are you talking about there? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's a good disclaimer to have. I'm curious, was there, because I think the, 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 the interesting thing, it's like the chip on the shoulder, right? And I, I resonate with that because I've had a chip on my shoulder since I was a kid. It's an incredibly powerful motivator. Um, it almost like pushes you past the limit. It's like automatic like fire. It just burns in you. I'm curious because now you have 35 advisors. You guys are doing crazy numbers in terms of sales um even for the region that you're based in you're one of the top brokers was there a moment has a moment occurred where you felt like you've proven yourself no 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 man take take you know it's so funny we have a bunch of little accolades when you walk into the office um to me it feels like propaganda in a way um no, man. I mean, to me, it's, it's how I measure success. It, it's really by the time, how much time do I get to spend with my son and my wife? Um, do I get to take him out 
to nice places? Can I not think about the bill and vacation? Just stay wherever we want to stay and for as long as we want to stay. Um, can I bring my mom along? Can I bring my nanny along so that I can go and have dinner with my wife and, and whoever I love? Um, you know, for me, it's spending time with, with the people I love the most and being there for them. And so I don't get to do that yet. I'm still, you know, I get up at 530 in the morning. I'm in the gym by six. Work out for an hour. I'm home by seven ten. Shower. I'm in the office by seven forty five. Um, I'm the first one in, the last one out. And again, it's just from that work ethic that I just that I just have. Um, but at some point, I you know I don't want to miss. I want to be able to pick up my son at noon from school and take him to the park at three o'clock. Um, I'm not there yet. Uh, but to me, it's, it's, it, that's how I define it, right? It's not by how much money is in my bank account or how big the company is or what awards we've won. Uh, to me, it's very personal. And so I don't get to do that just yet. My wife does a little bit more than me, but, uh, yeah, man, that's, to me, I see it completely different. Uh, I think we're in this world for a very short period of time. And so to me, I think your 20s and 30s are about building as much as you can so that the 40s and onward, you can just live the life that you really, really want to live. Um, so that's what my intention is now. That's what I'm doing now um, so that later on I get to pick and choose. Could I do it now in a way? Sure. But I'm not I'm not I'm not quite there yet. Mm. What's stopping you from being there? hundred million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I want to, and, and the other thing is, I want to drive change, right? So I'm from Colombia. It's a very poor country. Uh, let me rephrase that. There's a huge wealth gap. The rich are very rich. The poor are very poor. Um, when I go there, sometimes we go into these towns that you know you don't see things that you don't see those things here, um, where kids are literally like starving. Um, they may get a pair of socks for Christmas and they're mm-hmm. happy about it. So for me, it's also what change can I drive? Um, what uh, my agenda, right? Everyone has their own thing. So for my wife and I, we want to do something with kids in Colombia. We're both Colombians, right? Can we build schools? Can we build hospitals? Can we, how do we make it better for them? How do we add technology um, to their life? So to do that, it takes money. And so, for those reasons, I need I need to work a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, while spending time with my family. Right? Look, my my, you know, you, t- you you we just talked about me being able to spend time with my family. That's super important to me. That's how part part of how I define success. They're here with me in New York, right? They're at the hotel waiting for me. As soon as I get out of here, I'm going to go hang out with them, take them out to dinner. Mm-hmm. Most people would have just been like, "Hey, baby, stay at home with the kid. I'll be back on Sunday." Uh, for me, it's important that they come. They, they, they're a part of what I'm doing. To me, work and my life, it, it, it's all interconnected. So, you know, trying to trying to appeal both sides of my life there. Mm. I'm curious. Did you always? Was that always a priority? And I'll even speak from my experience. I have. Um, my dad and my dad's family is from Sierra Leone. So my dad's in Sierra Leone right now. 
um, we'll talk on the phone and they'll ask me how things are going. I will launch straight into like what's happening with this podcast, what's happening uh, with agency, um, just media. I love media. And it's almost like this thing that I care so much about. It's like an obsession. And I resonate with what you said about proving yourself. Um, for me at this point, it's like, I just want to prove myself correct. And I want it so much. It's like all consuming. And so when I'm speaking with my dad, he'll always try and get me to talk about things outside of this. And the reason why is, um, it's entirely for my benefit. There's a, you can become too focused on one thing. It can actually consume you. And I think what he's trying to do, he's trying to create a more rounded yeah. person. He'll ask, like, he'll ask me um, questions about like even going on dates or like hanging out with friends and all of this stuff. And it's just not on my mind at the moment. It's like, I want this thing so much. I'm curious for you, because even when I listen to your story, it feels, it feels like you are in that place. It feels to a certain extent that you're still in that place where you just like want this thing and it's whatever has to happen to make it happen. I'm curious when the other things became a priority, where the family life, where, you know, finding a great wife and partner and all of those things that actually at the end of the day lead to the fulfillment and the happiness. When did those become a priority? Yeah, no, great question. So you remember the guy that I told you I walked into his office? We mm. ended up partnering on a deal, gave me a big listing. Mm. And I told you that he's a mentor of mine. Um, and one of the things that we always talked about, and we talked about it a lot, was that life is a wheel. And it's broken into four parts. You have your personal life. You have your spiritual life. You have your family. And you have your, pro your professional life. And it's all broken down in 25% quadrants. So when your professional life starts eating up more of that, the other things start suffering, right? If now work becomes 50% of your life, how much time do you have for your spiritual life, your personal and your family, mm -hmm. right? So when I started thinking that way, it really started changing me. And the other thing that he would say a lot to me was enjoy the ride. You know, we're talking about a guy that built a huge business, had 2,500 employees at one point and sold his company for $100 million with no college education. And he told me, he was like, look, you're going to make it. You, you know, he saw something in me, but he was like, enjoy the ride. You, you, you're just an animal working. You just don't stop. I'll call you at four in the morning or call you at midnight and you're picking up the phone. Just enjoy the ride. So that, those two conversations would always stay with me. And then, you know, when I met my wife, she knew that work was a big part of it. And I don't see it as work. Um, when I'm in deal mode, when I'm, you know, if you put me behind a computer, yes, it's, it's daunting to me, but when I'm, when I'm in my mojo, I don't, it doesn't feel like work to me. So how do I get all these things to kind of live together in an ecosystem, right? So for me, for instance, the example I just gave you, I came here for work, but I can also leave here now once we're done and go grab dinner with my wife and my three-year-old baby at Serafina and have a beautiful meal and enjoy ourselves in the city 
and then go to the aquarium in, in Brooklyn tomorrow because my son loves sharks. Mm. And yes, I was here for work, but I also mixed it in with, with that family time that's super important to me. So, you know, how do you find that balance? And, and, and everyone's going to have a different answer. And I also think as you grow older and other things start taking priority in your life, you'll start changing a little bit. Mm. Um, before, when I did, I, I, I kid you not, I would put up 80 hours in a single week working. Not kidding. Now I maybe do like 55, 60 hours, right? I've also become more efficient in what I do and how I do things. I have a team behind me. But I'm still, make no mistake, I'm still the first one in, last one out of the office. Um, you know, maybe Fridays I leave early and hang out with, with my family. But it's, look, it's not, it's not easy. Um, you got to find what works for you. Mm. You know, here's where I want to end. Um, when Kobe Bryant was retiring... They asked him, they said, how are you going to deal with retirement? The reason they asked that question is because he was so obsessed with the sport. He puts up all of these accolades, all of this time in the gym. It seems like it consumes his life. It's like, how will this person ever step away and be even 1% fulfilled when they're not doing this thing? They ask him in an interview how he's going to feel fulfilled. How can he step away? He says, he says, like, stepping away from basketball is going to be the easiest thing in the world for me. They're like, why? He says, I put everything into this game. I, did, I left no stone unturned. I was waking up at 3 a.m. to go and practice before any other player went and practiced. I gave it everything. Every drop of potential that I had was executed against. I'm curious for you. Do you think there's going to be a moment where like Kobe, with 100% comfort, satisfaction, confidence, you would be able to step away from all of this, knowing that I gave everything to this game and I just... Oof. It's my time. I just feel ready. Oof. Tough question. I don't know. Um, you know, for me, I'm trying to shift my business a little bit. Um, I really shift it, but the other business line is, is what I told you earlier, is becoming the landlord, not just brokering the deal. So for me, to get to the aspirations that I want to do, right, the, to create the change that I want, um, I think that's the part that would fulfill me more than when, you know, when I'm ready to do that, it will be a much easier exit for me from this. Um, I want to create nepotism as long as well as driving change, how to create good humans. I, I, it's a tough question, man. I don't, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the first half of, of, of the first quarter for me uh, in my career. I think I, you know, I'm 33 years old. I don't think I'll ever retire. Um, I told you earlier, I still get the kicks from doing, from negotiating deals, especially when they get tough. Mm. Um, you know, being able to solve it and, and, and get everyone back on the track. I, you know, that still like gives me a big fulfillment. So I, I don't know. It's a super tough question, but I think if, if, if I had to give you the answer today, October 12th, 
2023, I think it would be being able to drive that change in, in, in other parts of, of my life, right? Which, how do I give back from everything that I've built? How do I give back now to, to others that maybe don't have the same opportunities? Mm. Um, that's what I think it would be for me. But again, man, it's early for me. Mm. What would it be for you? Oh, if it's early for you, it's like... <laughs> I don't even know. I'm like in preschool or something. Like it's, I don't know. I don't know. Um, right. Kobe. I mean, he's, we're talking about a guy that won it all. Mm-hmm. Everything. I worked everybody. Um, I think the most impressive thing about him is actually the evolution. So like when he retired, uh, was it, he won an Oscar for like his animation, what he was doing with animation. He had like a book, a children's book. I find that impressive, the evolution. He went into something else and was great at that as well. They they asked Messi the same question not too long ago in an interview. What are you going to do after soccer? Mm. After you playing competitive soccer? And his answer was like, I'm going to go coach little kids. A guy that has it all, Mm. has won it all. You know, just that's, he loves the game. He wants to be part of it. But more so than that is to, how do you, how do you make, how do you create value in others, right? How do you help others? Mm. He doesn't need to coach little kids. He mm. can do whatever he wants. Um, and that's, that was his answer. Mm. So, you know. Yeah. It's a deep question to think about. Yeah. And uh, no, I'm glad you asked that. I'm going to give that some real thought. Yeah. You know what it is? And, and I think the ultimate goal, Naval Ravikant, um, successful entrepreneur, investor, And he's almost like a philosopher at this point, I feel like. And one of the things he said, the ultimate game of the, the ultimate way that you win the game is by removing yourself from the game. That's something that I think about. We're all playing these different games, right? Playing the money game. I just want more money. Mm -hmm. Playing the status game. I just want to rise to a higher position in like the social hierarchy uh, maybe we're playing like the looks game. I just want to be better looking. It's like where we go to the gym or whatever. I think the people that I have like a, almost like a sneaky admiration for, it's like, they don't care about any of it anymore. They did, they did it all. And now they just do their own thing. And it's this thing that you see in uh, storytelling and theater where it's like, you have to go on this long winding journey throughout life and achieve all of these things to realize that you're actually just good the whole time. And that's why a lot of these like super successful people, like even the way they dress, it's like you wouldn't even know that they're successful. Funny you say that the wealthiest clients come in shorts and flip-flops. Yeah. The guys wearing a suit probably work for them. Yeah. That's how it works out. They're just back to like however they felt the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. Because the way that you win the game is removing yourself from the game. It's like, I no longer even have to do this thing. I, know, I don't have to do this show anymore. Just do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. So I think, I think for me, like, that's the place where I see it going to, which is like, I don't know, maybe like even the chip on the shoulder, it doesn't even matter anymore. Like feeling like I just want to prove I'm correct. It's like, don't even need to prove anything. It's just a fact. Yeah, and you just—I don't. Know. At some point, there's gonna be something that's so much more important to you, mm. has so much more meaning to you. Mm. That yeah, it's gonna be that, and it might be—that's the family. I think might like be a well. little Caleb running yeah. around, man. Who knows, right? But 
I gotta tell you, man, when I had my 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 first I have a I have a little girl on the way. Um but when Congrats. I had my first thank you. When I had my first child, man, it 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 made me realize that I'm no longer living for myself, I'm living for somebody else. Um and everything that I'm doing is for this person. Totally changed the way that I just kind of viewed the world. Um it was no longer about me from a status, so, hey, how do I get a six pack for the summer so I can go to the beach and flex like mm. all these stupid things that maybe one thought about stop being that um yes do I like nice things sure like everybody else but is that the most important thing that drives me absolutely not mm. far from it so where do we go from here man mm. you know what's going to be interesting is that in a few years or whenever it is, we're going to do another episode. And I just think it's going to be fascinating to see the evolution, both in like my story and then your story. Oh, I can't wait. Because I think the answers are going to be, you know, they're going to be there. It all comes. And that's the thing. That's the beautiful thing about time. It's like everything reveals itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like it will come. So. No, it's been a pleasure having you on, man. Likewise, man. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the channel. We're having fire conversations every week on the podcast. Before we end the episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Free Agency. What if I told you there is a good chance you're leaving money on the table in your career? It would kind of annoy you a bit, right? Well, Free Agency aims to stop that. They represent and manage talent in the tech industry. Here's how they do it. First, they provide you with a dedicated talent agent. Think about this as your career quarterback. They understand you and your career goals. Based on that understanding, they bring you suitable interviews at top firms. You focus on smashing the interview and together with their network, research, negotiation expertise, they will make sure you get a top of market salary. Stop job searching alone and start building your dream career today with free agency. There is a reason why Kobe spent hours every single day shooting free throws. The guy could shoot him with his eyes closed. Even after many championships, he was still spending hours doing that. There's documentaries about this. 
I don't know if you saw the one about the USA team. This guy would be at the gym at 4 a.m. Oh, yeah. Like he had already done everything. MVP X amount of times, uh, NBA champion. All st- I mean, he was still outworking everyone. And that didn't change, you know. Remember Fast and the Furious when he pressed the button and got Nas and the fucking car just mm. went at a whole other speed that the car didn't even know it could go. For me, it was that. I was like, okay, no problem. I'm pressing the Nas button now. And man, I, I didn't have a dog. I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have anything going on uh, in a personal life that would impede me from just work, outworking absolutely everybody. So instead of getting depressed and saying, oh, shit, what am I going to do? I just, okay, no problem. I'm going to put in 18 hours, 18 hours a day. I want to make sure everyone knows who I am uh, in whatever sphere I'm working in, knocking as many doors as I can, do as many calls as I can, and just, you know, just get out of this as quickly as possible from, from, from that money standpoint. How do I generate fees as quickly? Life is a wheel, and it's broken into four parts. You have your personal life, you have your spiritual life, you have your family, and you have your, pro- your professional life. And it's all broken down in 25% quadrants. So when your professional life starts eating up more of that, the other things start suffering. Right? If now work becomes 50% of your life, how much time do you have for your spiritual life, your personal, and your family? Mm-hmm. Right? So when I started thinking that way, it really started changing 